Today's episode of the Dad Tired Podcast is brought to you by Haya Health. I know some of you dads listening may not be giving too much thought about the vitamins that your kids are taking, or maybe you just leave it up to your wife to make those decisions, but I want to challenge you to give this some thought. Haya Health was actually started by two dads who realized the vitamins they were giving their kids were essentially sugar-filled candy in disguise, so they decided to do something about it. Did you know that 93% of kids don't eat enough fruits and vegetables? And we all know that what kids eat instead are chicken fingers, mac and cheese, processed foods, ice cream, and more. And the vitamins that are supposed to fill in those nutritional gaps are based on out-of-date nutritional guidelines from the 1980s. Haya fills in the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full-body nourishment our kids need with a yummy taste they love. My kids absolutely love these vitamins. They're made from 12 farm-fresh fruits and vegetables and supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals known to help support a healthy immune system, energy levels, brain function, mood, teeth, bones, and more. Most children's vitamins are filled with 5 grams of sugar and can cause a variety of health issues. Haya is made with zero sugar and zero gummy junk, yet it tastes great and is perfect for picky eaters. It's non-GMO, vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, nut-free, and everything else you can imagine. It's manufactured here in the United States with globally sourced ingredients, each selected for optimal bioavailability and absorption. We've worked out an exclusive offer with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Dad Tired listeners receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com forward slash dad tired or enter the code DADTIRED at checkout. That's H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash DADTIRED, HayaHealth.com slash DADTIRED, and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Again, go to HayaHealth.com forward slash DADTIRED or enter the promo code DADTIRED at checkout. David, I'm super excited to be hanging out with you today, man. I saw the title of your book, We're All Freaking Out and Why We Don't Need To. That's it. <laughs> Such a good title. I was thinking as I read that, as an author, I know that you normally write books like a year to two years in advance before it actually comes out, right? Like you've written yeah. this book a long time ago. My first thought was like, did you anticipate that we would be freaking out even more by the time that got by the book was going to be released? Like. <laughs> When you wrote it, the world was yeah. freaking out, but today the world's freaking out even more than it was two years ago. Like, <laughs> yes, you're, you're so spot on. In fact, I started working with a publisher on this before COVID had ever happened. Yeah. And two months into agreeing and finally landing with a publisher, the pandemic hit mm. and it was already an epidemic of anxiety among young families, young adults, uh, just uh, our country. And then a pandemic has only tragically seen that spike. And yeah, that title is so funny. I don't know that I ever would have came up with the title of a book. We're all freaking out and why we don't need to. And I was talking to another author friend of mine hmm. and uh, named Jenny Allen, who's like, a yeah, yeah she's a writer. She's, yeah, she's yeah. amazing. She's an incredible author. And I was telling her, I've got this book on anxiety. I, I don't know what to title it. And I, she goes, we go to the same church and she was like, be in my office today, 2 p.m., whatever you have, cancel it, and I, we will name your book. And I go to her office, sit down, and she runs a, a ministry, a women's ministry, and I walk in the door. It's all of her leadership team. It's a bunch of these incredible leader women. It was like walking into a bunch of lionesses yeah, like, yeah. in there. She yeah. goes, sit down, and we will name it. And within probably 15 minutes, she flipped to a section of the manuscript, and that was subtitled, We're All Freaking Out. And she goes, ha! That is your book title. That's how people say it. You need to 
put into words how people feel it. I'm mm. telling you that is your book title because people feel like, man, we're freaking out. And if somebody can tell me why we don't need to, which is what God's word says, there yeah. are reasons why we don't need to. And so that's a funny, long story of, I don't think I ever would have come up with that in isolation and yet pitched it to the publisher and they were like, man, we, we love that and love the heart behind it. So, yeah, well, it, I think a lot of people resonate with it all freaking out every person right now, like if you go on Twitter, you go on Instagram, you go on Facebook, it used to be like, Hey, here's what I'm eating for lunch. <laughs> Remember those yes. days? Remember yes. saying, here's a picture of my salad. I'm healthy. I'm trying. Yes. Now it's like, it's just chaos. And so you look at other people freaking out and then you start to freak out. You're like, Oh, yeah. okay. I, I wasn't actually panicked because I was just eating my salad, but now I came to Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or whatever. And now yes. I'm kind of freaking out because I've just read 15 news stories that feel like they should be a week's worth of news in one sitting, right? Like we should just talk about that one thing for the next week, but we read 15 headlines that are causing us to freak out from your assessment. I know you work a lot with young adults, which I want to get into because for dads who maybe have preteens, teenagers, college students, but first let's just focus on the man who's listening, who's feeling that like, dude, I'm kind of freaking out right now. Like I'm, I'm going through my own stuff right now. Like from your assessment, what are you seeing culturally? Where people yeah. are, even even maybe specifically the Christian man who's in the church, like what's your assessment on what his day-to-day or his week-to-week kind of looks like, how much he feels like he's kind of freaking out internally? Yeah. You know, I think for young dads, the spectrum of emotions is so broad, depending on what the last year and a half has looked like or just what season you're in. But when you go through a pandemic and you're a father and you feel the responsibility of providing for your family, for paying for a mortgage or for rent or for saving for kids and increasing costs of living, man, it makes total sense why you would feel all of that. And to your point, social media has not helped. I mean, even reels and you know, all of that stuff on TikTok is basically, I feel like it's just a bunch of reels. Even so many of the, the reels, if you're scrolling through, are 30 second videos of people kind of joking about how life is falling apart and what do I do to grapple with it? And I'm trying to cope, you know, and they're playing off of it, but it reflects a real serious stress level that people are walking through. And so I think this has brought to the surface a lot of the ways that we have thought we were in more control than we are. Yeah. And we have thought that we are, we've really bought lies and I'm not saying this to condemn anybody. I can speak for myself, at least I can find myself seeing the lies I believe about, I am the sole provider for my family Yeah. versus biblically, God says he is the one who provides as much as I think me putting a paycheck or my ability to sustain, provide and God in Matthew chapter six and all throughout the Bible teaches he's ultimately the source of provision. So I think we're being confronted with some of the ways maybe we unintentionally bought some lies and with the increasing stress of trying to make it through the chaotic world that has been the last 18 to 24 months that we're all in. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with that. I think that oftentimes the underlying foundation of my stress is the lack of control that I feel. Yep. My stress is often correlating with how in control do I feel in a situation? And the more you feel out of control, the more stress you feel. And so I think people are just feeling all the things that I thought aren't stable anymore. Yes. And then you just add to that a bunch of noise and, yes. and other people's opinions. You used to deal with, I would imagine you used to deal with that 
40 years ago, a hundred years ago. And it's just like, okay, what do we do as a family? Like you just come back to your family and maybe a couple of close friends mm-hmm. and Hey, I'm going through this. But now it's like, we're connected globally for better or worse, sometimes yeah. better, sometimes worse. And now we're all like collectively freaking out, which is like that, the sociology of that, we're like, we are together adding more fuel to that fire. Totally right. And feeding uh, off of each other and, and feeding off each other. Yeah. Even the language you used there, I think is so ironic because one of the things I talk about in the book is sometimes the language we use about control is even contributing to the problem or at least misleading to ourself. Hmm. And by that, I mean, there's a phrase I'll hear all the time working in just a ministry and just with people. And you'll hear people say, I struggle with control. Like, oh man, I just, I struggle with control. The irony of that sentence is it's a little bit like me saying, I struggle with x-ray vision. Mm, And by that, I mean, you don't struggle with control. Control is something you've never had. Just like x-ray vision is something I've never had. You struggle with not having control. And seasons like the one we're in just expose that. And yet, as Christians, you know, that famous line is so true that we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we're the only ones who know who holds tomorrow. And I think holding on to that and believing that and having a grip on that in the midst of the chaos in our world and not allowing so much of the noise, because, man, I think you're so right. We're in a series right now at the porch, which is the ministry I lead on Tuesday nights. And we're talking about the contributing factors, contributing to stress. And social media is one of those where, like you said, not only did I go home to my family, but I just didn't have to worry or compare my life to some Swedish millionaire and his life and his car that I'll never meet and how lack of successful I am compared to his life. And today, I mean, you can go online and people you'll never meet in your whole life and feel discouraged or feel like you're, you're lacking or feel like you're not enough just by scrolling through. And I think we've Mm got to be careful what information, and I'd be interested to, to know if this is the case up there in Portland. I think even a lot of the political stuff you know, I'm not even saying political one way or the other. I'm saying if you're not careful, you can allow that and all that noise to contribute to a, ah, 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 things are so out of control. And, you know, the democratic party is off or the Republican party or whatever it is, is off. And it's good to be informed, but not at the expense of it just constantly draining life out of you. Yeah. I want to talk about the second part of that title, which is, and why we don't need to be freaking out. Right. But before we jump into that, I do want to make sure we have a good grasp on the freaking out part and like the roots of it. Cause if we trim a tree without getting to the roots, like it doesn't really matter. It'll just grow back. Right. We can create some new habits or thinking or whatever, but I want to get to the root of it. And I just, I feel it so personally. And I don't know if it's cause I'm getting older. So I tell my friends this all the time. Like, I feel like I'm becoming like grumpy old man who like listens to the news and like, you know, got my kids. Like, I just feel so old. Like I didn't ever read the news or care about the news. I was like, let's just go do stuff, you know? But now I'm just like, I feel like it's really affecting me. I'll tell my kids a news story and I can tell they're just like, who cares? You know, like come play Legos. Like you guys don't realize this is, you know, I'm like the grumpy old man. I'm just like, what is happening? (laughs) And I feel like I'm constantly, and I'm being dead serious here. There are days where I will like go into a rabbit hole. I'm like, okay, like China's going to nuke us and we're all going to die. Like we need to prepare for like, I need to get the water set up. I need to get food for my family. I'm like internally freaking out. And I think part of that is just, I'm a dad. I'm trying to figure what you were saying. Like I need to protect my family. I need to gain control. 
over something I really don't have any control over. And then other days, you know, I'm just like, man, this is a mist. Like uh, we're here today, gone tomorrow. Like we're passing yeah. through the kingdom's coming. The kingdom's never at risk. Um, right. you know, I don't freak out cause I, I know, I know how the story ends, but anyway, that was a lot of me rambling and probably giving a little bit of a counseling session to myself yeah. here, but it's uh, yeah, good, man. What, what else do you think is contributing? Like, I, I guess when you think about like that, that foundation, yeah. like are the roots of it. Yeah. When you think of, okay, we need to really address that before we get into the solution. Like talk to me about where are these roots really holding on? Yeah, I think one of the key things to your point, unless you get rid of the roots, something is going to continue to grow back. And this is an area where I don't think so. I'm married to a counselor. Hmm. She's a, a licensed therapist and is a believer. How is, is that? What, what, how's that? <laughs> is yeah, that helpful it, or hurtful? It is. There's <laughs> times marriage. where I'm like, hey, you got to take the counseling hat off right now. <laughs> yeah. Stop psychoanalyzing. Yeah. Or, but there's other times I joke that, man, God knew I was going to need round the clock counseling. And so <laughs> just 24 seven, just 24 seven paired me yeah. up. <laughs> and, uh, and one thing I learned from her and from seeing a counselor, even myself was that importance of chasing down the root behind yeah. your anxiety or underneath your anxiety, because in order to address it, you can't fight what you haven't faced yet. And I think a lot of our anxiety plagues off of these vague feelings of fear and we don't ever chase it down. Like what's actually fueling mm, the feelings yeah. of fear. Like to use one example that at least is relevant in my life. I was talking to a friend who was describing his interaction and discussion with a counselor, and he was experiencing anxiety over work and over financially providing for his family. I mean, it's something I, I know I can relate to and specifically about the future with kids. Hey, am I going to be able to afford in the changing world to put my kids through college? And it was just creating angst and anxiety in him to the point where he was like considering he was in ministry, considering leaving ministry. And, mm. and he was talking with a counselor and they helped him chase down or track down some of the roots underneath that, because it turned out some of the roots were lies that he had believed. And by that, I mean this, he sat with the counselor and the counselor was asking questions, really doing what Jesus did in Matthew six. We can talk about that in a second. But the counselor said, so you're anxious about not being able to provide for college or pay for that. What happens if you can't afford to pay for college for your kids? Hmm. And he sat there and he had to answer that question and go, well, I, I guess it, they'd have to get a scholarship or they'd have to pay for it themselves or they may not even go to college by that time. And to which the counselor said, what happens if they have to get a scholarship or they have to pay for themselves or they don't even go to college? And he said, I would feel like I was a bad dad hmm. because I didn't provide financially for my kids the way that I think a good dad should. Mm. And this was the part that was so profound. The counselor said, is that the definition of a good dad? Yeah. They financially pay for kids college. And then he said, could it be possible that there was a good dad that didn't pay for your kids college or that there was a bad dad that did pay for kids college. And then he said, on the top 10 list of things that make a good dad, yeah. which one, if any of them would be paid for college. Yeah. And my friend realized, oh, I've bought a lie unintentionally. I never you know, yeah. embraced that idea, but somewhere along the way, I, I bought a message that all good dads pay for college. So if I don't do this, I'm a bad dad. And so now I feel anxiety over whether or not maybe I'm going to be a good dad, which ironically his fear over being a good dad someday robbed him of the ability to be a good dad today. 
you know, present yeah. with his kids and all of that. Yeah. And that's just one example where he had bought a lie because oftentimes our anxiety is fueled by lies that we believe. And yes. that lie was like, Hey, a good dad ultimately is just somebody who pays for college. When, if you stop and you really get to the root of it, you go, no, that's not what a good dad is. Yeah. A good dad is loving. They raise their kids and as best they can, the way of Jesus, they love the mother of their kids. They seek to provide, they seek to be selfless. They seek to do everything Jesus would call them to do, whether or not they can pay for college. And so that's one example, I think of getting to the roots because there are roots. And to use one more quick example, I, I see couples and we'll do premarital counseling with couples from time to time. And, and even couples that are married and do marriage counseling, one of the spouses will have tremendous anxiety over any conflict that begins mm. to happen. Mm. And it's because they were raised in a home where they were told conflict is a bad thing, yeah. where they were never any conflict that happened. Mom and dad didn't do it in front of the kids or it just, we don't talk about that kind of stuff. Right. And they began to adopt a lie or believe a lie that if conflict is present, that is bad. So this is bad. When the Bible would say conflict isn't a bad thing, it's an opportunity to strengthen relationship and to honor God and how we do it if we do it God's way. And so that's another example of just kind of anxiety being fueled by lies that are underneath. And I think that part takes time. And we believe in small groups here and community groups and just having support around you. And like I said, counseling, sometimes you can get there on your own. And sometimes other people are really helpful for me to go, Hey, what are some of the lies that I'm believing? Cause I can have anxiety over my work, whether or not my business is going to succeed or for me, my ministry succeeding. And it's because somewhere along the way, I bought the idea that if my work fails, I'm a failure. Yeah. Or if my work doesn't succeed, I basically am my work. And so yeah. I have not succeeded. So those are just a few examples, I think, that are so crucial to getting to what are the, what's the roots underneath my anxiety? Yeah. I liked the way you talked about your friend realizing like, being so focused on that is actually preventing me from being a better dad right now in this moment. I had a moment like that recently where I was watching the news and my son was trying to get my attention for, I don't even know how long he was like trying to show me something, show me something. And I was telling him like, this is really, hold on son, this is really important for the future. And I just immediately got hit with, I'm like, dude, the future is sitting right next to you trying to uh. get your attention. Like- <laughs> What, oh, dude, what are you? So you're good. so concerned about the future for your kids. Your kid is sitting right next to you. Like you want to make a contrib contribution to the future, engage with your son who's trying to get your attention right in this moment. And I was like, I was just so like, I, it had to be the Holy Spirit because it was just so beyond my own thinking right in that moment. I'm like, dang, all right, Lord, like I, I hear that. But I think what you're saying about the, I love that thought, what lie are you believing? I have a mentor. He's actually on our dad's hired board of directors. And he, he asked me that often, what lie are you believing? What lie? Cause it always comes back to a lie that we're believing and That's we right. need the truth and the good news of the gospel. And I love that you said that that often is found in the context of relationship or community because we can't see those ourselves. Another guy that was on our board talked about an analogy of going to get a car. If you were going to go buy a car, I'm going into the lot, the car lot with certain preconceived ideas of what I'm looking for and all this. And I can be sold really easy by a salesman because he's just like, you got to get this one. It's the flashiest one. And you know, it's the, whatever, it's got the latest and greatest. 
But if I bring a friend with me who's not invested into that car, he helps me see objectively things that I wouldn't be able to see. Yes. What's the engine like? What's the mileage like? You know, how old is it? Did it have any things? They'll just ask questions because they see things objectively. The point of that is what you were saying is it's really hard for me to see lies that I'm believing in my own myself. Yes. And so oftentimes it will take for, for us, other brothers, usually to come alongside of us and be like, dude, who cares about the fact that the car is a cool matte black when, you know, it's like the engine doesn't work, you know, like, let me point out a blind spot for you that you're not so good. So good. And to your point, it's so crucial in everything and, and often, especially anxiety. Yeah. Do you think in your experience, I know you work a lot with college age students, young adults, from what you're seeing, is this affecting like our cultural moment right now? Is this affecting men and women differently? Do you think? The parallels, historically, women have typically always have higher rates of anxiety. There's even like, you know, some natural wirings and theories behind why that is not to go down those rabbit holes, but the jumps in anxiety, depression, I'm sorry, anxiety disorders, and even depressive disorders have really paralleled and guys have continued to tick upwards. And so versus 10 years ago, and at least 20 years ago, anxiety levels were statistically much higher or significantly higher among women but guys have significantly jumped and particularly among the young adult generation with gen z and millennials and guys catching up and closing that and one study showed that they are three times more likely young adults today and that's between the ages really of 18 to, to 34 to struggle with anxiety disorders or symptoms of what is heading towards an anxiety or depressive disorder three times more likely than past generations. And so it's a problem that's not going away and that the church has got to be better at talking about and be a louder voice on to equip our people on, because it seems it's only getting worse. If anything, I look at the younger generation, which again, I feel like that grumpy old man, even saying those words, (laughs) I look at the kids, you know, it's like, what the heck? I I feel like I was in high school last year, you know, like kids. Yeah. Kids these days, I look at them and they're, they're legitimately like, stressed yeah. and depressed. They're like, really, I mean, I remember it was like, I was like freaking out because I was going to get a D in a class, you know, or whatever I wasn't going to pass or, but not like the, the things that they're struggling with are like, oh, it's a deeper level. It's a deeper yes. level of anxiety. And so I guess, what would you say to the parents, the dads who like, they've got kids are feeling this younger yeah. because, and I think social media is a big part of that, but yeah. they're feeling this, you know, 11 year olds, 12 year olds, 13 year olds moving into these teenage years, they're stressed out. They're freaking out. What would you say to a dad who maybe has son or daughter that's older, that's starting to like show signs of anxiety, depression already? Yeah. I think sitting there and asking good questions, being empathetic to it, because there's often a disconnect between people who are experiencing it and people who sometimes wiring plays a big role in whether or not, you know, some of us are just wired in a much more relaxed fashion. And some of us are, are wired less that way. And so I think as a parent asking good questions, even if you can't understand why they're so anxious about what Susie thinks or whatever it is, somebody happened on social media, just asking, praying for them, pointing them to truth, especially if they are believers and having an ear that just listens and helps, I think as a dad to peel back some of those layers about, Hey, why are you so worried about that? Or what would happen if that happened and just be there for them. And of course, I think being consistently someone who points them to truth and models that in their own life. You know, if you're constantly 
freaking out or coping with anxiety through, you know, we can do it through a million things. It does, it's not always just bad things like, you know, alcohol and drugs. You can cope through sports, fantasy yeah. football, checking Ted out Lasso. the golf game, yeah. Ted Lasso. Yeah. yeah. All of it. And, uh, and so modeling that yourself. And then I think asking good questions and coming along and supporting them, praying for them, walking with them and walking alongside them. Yeah, that's good, man. Hey guys, hope you're enjoying this interview so far. I just wanted to pause for a quick second and tell you about a really cool opportunity. Every year, the Dad's Hired Ministry partners with Samaritan's Purse to deliver gifts to children in need around the world. I love what Samaritan's Purse does. They have a thing called Operation Christmas Child. It's a project of Samaritan's Purse. It's the largest Christmas project of its kind. The mission of Operation Christmas Child is to demonstrate God's love in a very tangible way to children in need around the world and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Not only do they give gifts, but they actually present the gospel. They do it all through local churches, so there's a connection there to local churches and the children and families in need. But they take these boxes that are packed here, they deliver them, they distribute them through the local churches all over the world to families in need. They're sharing the gospel and just practical things that children and families need. They've done over 188 million gift-filled shoe boxes in over 170 countries and territories. That's insane. This year, they hope to collect enough shoe boxes to reach another 10 million children. And I'm hoping the Dad Tired guys can join me in this. You can do this as a family. You can do this with your church. You can do this a small group. You can get your kids involved. Uh, there's a variety of ways you can do it, but you need to do it quickly because they're actually going to collect all these shoe boxes that you pack on the week of November 15th to 22nd. So you got to collect these. There's lots of drop-off locations after you pack these shoe boxes up with your family or your church or your small group. You can deliver them to drop-off locations. They have over 5,000 drop-off locations all over the country. But to learn more about this and how you can get involved and to just have a tangible way to serve those in need and present the gospel to people around the world, go to samaritanspurse.org slash OCC. Again, that's samaritanspurse.org slash OCC. You can learn how to pack a shoebox and figure out where to drop it off. Hope you guys will join me in this. Such an awesome project. The last thing that anybody wants to hear in the middle of like, I feel freaking out is to just be told, hey man, just calm down or don't think about it so much or just turn it off. Just stop yes. thinking about that. Yes. Um, so, you know, in the title, you're talking about why we're all freaking out and how to not, or we're all freaking out and why we don't need to be. I imagine you've got better advice than, well, just don't. <laughs> just yeah. don't, just don't freak yes. out. Like, what is the solution here? To, yeah. To the anxiety. Yeah. I think to your point, that is like such a passion point because I think that idea of, Hey, just stop one. It doesn't work. It's not helpful. It's insulting. Right. And what has happened, I think in the church is we have translated that type of message and why Christians, I think don't turn to God's word, which is really the passion point of the book mm. is to create a first line of defense for Christians of this is God's, these are the principles he's given us. It's not the last line. It's not a one-stop shop, but for Christians, our first line of defense is what God's word says. Anything in addition to that is a good supplement, not a good replacement. And too often in my experience, Christians have not turned to God's word because they think like their friend or older brother who tells them stop freaking out or just trust God. They think that the Bible says stuff like that. Like they yeah. believe you ask the average Christian, what is it? Bible teach about anxiety, I hear answers like, stop it, pray more, just trust God, have more faith. He won't give and you what you can't handle, you know? Yes. But, yeah. Yeah. It's such an oversimplification. And by why I say that is to use one example of how 
people will read a Bible verse and they misunderstand it and may have even been mistaught it. There's a famous verse in Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven, where Paul talks about anxiety and he talks about prayer. And he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, which is prayer, let your requests be made known to God, which is prayer and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Now you read that and you glance at it and you think Paul just said, don't worry, pray and God's peace will be on you. Hmm. And a lot of people go, wait a second, I've prayed and I'm still anxious, Paul. So whatever you're describing clearly doesn't work. Hmm. And the reason I say that's a misunderstanding of the verse is the word that Paul uses for do not be anxious is a Greek word, now. New Testament was written in Greek. And the Greek word now is synonymous with meditation. Hmm. In other words, when Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, he's not saying never have an anxious thought. That's impossible. You're going to have those. I'm going to have those for the rest of our life. He's saying, don't meditate on fearful and anxious thoughts. Hmm. That is possible. I can choose not to dwell and meditate on. And what if we get nuked by China? And what if an <laughs> asteroid hits? And what if my mom dies? And what if my wife dies? And what if my kids have? Or what if you know I pass out and die before this? End? I can choose not to dwell and dwell and meditate on those things, which I don't know anyone who disagrees with that. In yeah. other words, I've never met a Christian who would say, I think Paul's wrong. What made my life better was I started meditating on every fearful, anxious thought I had, (laughs) you know, for 20 minutes a day. Right. We'd all agree with that. And Paul is saying, don't meditate, which is why in that chapter, the next verses he goes into is finally brothers, whatever is true, noble, lovely, worthy of think about that stuff. So he just said, don't meditate on these, meditate on these. Hmm. And so I think one of the, in addition to getting to the roots I think it is properly understanding scripture. And then the last, maybe most helpful, and I wish I could go into all of it, and I'm happy to go into even whatever we have time for. I think one of the things that Christians don't do that Jesus modeled in Matthew chapter six, he's teaching the Sermon on the Mount, and he asked a question to his audience related to anxiety. He says, don't be anxious about what you wear, what you'll eat. And he's addressing their big fears. To us, he would say, don't be worried about you know, whatever we're anxious about. And then he asks a question that I think is so profound. I referenced it earlier because counselors still do it today, where he says, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? And if you hit pause and you go, why is Jesus asking that question? Hmm. Well, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's not like he's like, guys, I'm, I'm trying to figure out the secret to life. Is it food? Is it clothes? It's because he's trying to help put into a bigger perspective their fear, their worries that his audience would have been forced to go, of course, life is more than food. You know, there's more to life at the end of the day than just food and clothes. Like if that was, uh, if I knew I had enough food for the rest of my life, is that all life is? No, of course, life is so much bigger. And counselors still in a similar fashion today, they try to help people chase down their worries to see them in a bigger perspective. Hmm. And I think an application of that is to do what Jesus in that passage models of Whenever anxiety hits, it generally plagues off of two words. What if, Mm. what if, Yeah. what if, and what's funny and anybody listening may have never thought of it like this. We so rarely answer the what if that's right, but it's only by answering the what if, like, what if we get nuked by China? Yeah. Uh, It's such a random example. Or what if my, (laughs) I'll use my own life. Yeah. What if my wife, we've got two kids and we've got one on the way due in January. What if my wife 
died of, of cancer and I was left to raise our kids alone. That fear can pop into my head and I can allow kind of a vague feeling of, oh my gosh, that would be so horrible. I can just kind of live there or I can choose to answer the what if hmm. and say, what if then I would, and then reinforce it, but God would. So what if my wife died of cancer? Then I would be so heartbroken. Hmm. I would probably walk through the hardest season maybe I'll ever have in my life, hmm. but God would get me through it, would sustain me, hmm. has promised he's near to the brokenhearted, has promised that he's in control of all things to reference what you said earlier, has promised this life is like a vapor and even the hardest moments he will use for our good, Romans 8 tells us. And so I think by answering that, what if, answer the question, then I would, and you're facing those fears, and then you're remembering what God has said, which mm -hmm. is what Jesus did in that passage. He says, hey, you know, isn't life more than that? Which is basically like, you know, what if? And then he says, remember, your heavenly father has promised to provide for your needs. So he plays out an example of that. And I think that deflates by isolating the fear and making it go, what, what if that happened? Well, answer it. Yeah. And don't be afraid to face that fear and then remember and reinforce it with truth from God's word. Yeah. And it doesn't make the fear go away. It doesn't make bad outcomes go away, but it at least allows you to hold on to what's true yeah. in the midst of what possibly could happen. Man, that is a really helpful exercise that I think if, if somebody would just take that right now and apply, I'm sure you as a listener today are playing out a what if, mm. what if X, Y, Z, and just play it out. Because at the end of the day, what I said earlier at the beginning of this interview was we know how the story ends. But if yeah. you just leave, that's a pretty vague way of saying what you just said. It's pretty vague. It can leave you just feeling like, well, that's not helpful because, yeah. you know, sure, God wins, but what does that really mean? Yeah. And what I like about your exercise is it really forces you to preach the gospel to yourself. Yes. To take that good news back to yourself and, and really understand, okay, um, how would the good news of the gospel actually impact me if worst case scenario played out? Yes. What does the gospel look like practically? And man, if we can learn how to preach the gospel to ourselves like that daily, it sounds like what Paul was talking about. Maybe we'd be meditating on what is pure and true and right and lovely and yes. just and all those things, you know? So yes. I, I, man, that's a really, really good uh, exercise that I think is going to be helpful for a lot of people. And it's fun. What would you, what would you say if you had parting words for a young dad, young husband, who's just like, man, I'm really, I'm actually deeply struggling with anxiety. Like it's, it's crippling me. You've given a lot of great points, but I guess what would be some of your parting words to that dad who might be feeling that right now? I'll start with one that'll seem kind of super, um, that may seem oversimplified, but it, it's the one that first came to mind is I think you got to talk to somebody about it. Hmm. Even psychology shows us that what God's word says about, Hey, open up your life to other people, hmm. have real authentic relationships. Even one of the things that counseling is built on the back of is that studies show that when we talk about our anxiety, it kind of gets it out in the open and deflates some of the power of it. And so I know that maybe somebody listening is going, well, I am talking to somebody about it. But for anybody who's not, I think it can plague off of those feelings of I'm alone and I'm afraid. And when you get there, you can honestly believe the lie that you're uniquely anxious and yeah. everybody feels anxious about different things in different ways. Yeah. And so I would encourage 
as simple as that is, but if I could give one piece of advice to anybody that's been huge in my life as we've walked through hard seasons with flagged diagnoses on pregnancies and, and health with kids stuff that you got to have people in your life. You're talking to about it and that you're opening up with that can pray alongside of you. Hopefully they're Christians that can come alongside and encourage you and pray with you and really walk with you. And then as far as working through and getting to the roots and working out how to experience more freedom, man, that, um, that really is the heart of the first two sections of that book mm. that I'm hoping and praying is, is helpful and has already been really fun to see just a resource spread. But if I could leave with one thing that the person who may never listen to this podcast again, or, or even find that resource, it would be, you got to have believers in your life that you're talking to about it. Yeah. I think it reminds me of the verse, you know, you think about you confess your sins to God, there's forgiveness, but you confess your sins to each other. You actually find healing. Yes. I think there is something very true about that. When I actually let it out of my mouth and let another believer hear it and then can preach good news back to me, can tell me, Hey man, you're, here's the lie you're believing. There's so much healing in that. So good. Bro, thank you for taking the time. Thanks for writing the book. We'll put it in the show notes. Everyone go pick up a copy of that. Leave a review on Amazon. I know that's really helpful. And uh, this has been a fun conversation, man. I really appreciate your time. Man, thanks for having me. Keep going. And to all the dads that are tired, you're not alone. And keep going, man. Yeah. Thanks, bro. Appreciate you. Absolutely. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed that episode and that it was helpful for you as you continue to grow as the spiritual leader of your home. Just want to remind you, we actually have a brand new Bible study journal that comes out this week. And so if you want to pick that up, you can pick it up wherever books are sold. But this is a really practical and easy way for you to start digging into God's word. If if that's always kind of felt intimidating to you and you don't really know where to begin or you don't know how to study God's word, this is a really practical, easy way to teach you the basics of Bible study. It's a journal. You can write down your thoughts and prayers, what you're learning, what you're studying in the scripture. There's some Bible reading plans in there, some prompts to help get you motivated. Anyway, you can pick all of that up, again, wherever books are sold. Amazon is usually the quickest. If you like it, leave a review there. But I appreciate you guys. Go pick one of those up, and we'll see you next week. Later. Later.